And uh, please turn to the 139th Psalm tonight, Psalm 139. Uh, we will consider verses 23 and uh, 24 particularly in the preaching of the word, but I will begin uh, by reading the entirety of the psalm that we might get a sense of its context, which is rather important as we get to the end of the psalm. And uh, the intention is that this psalm and the preaching on it would be an aid in our preparation to meet with the Lord at the table of the Lord next Lord's Day. Well, with that then, let us turn our thoughts and our minds and our hearts to Psalm 139. These are the very words of God. Let us hear them as they are the holy, inspired, infallible words of the triune God. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid, uh, laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, it is high, I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say... Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am, I, am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. And our sermon text especially. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. O God of heaven, you are a searching God. You search our thoughts. You search the intentions of our heart. You know us completely and thoroughly. And as we come to this word, Father, we pray that in the preaching of the word, you would continue to search out our thoughts, our hearts, our consciences, 
Lay us bare before you, O God, through the preaching of the word, that we may flee to Jesus. So make Christ the object of our affections now, even as we are searched out by you, O God, to know that in Christ there is no condemnation, and in Christ we are to follow after you, O God. Bless the preaching of the word to these ends, and so we pray that you would bless the preaching that we might behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world as we prepare to meet him at the table. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, have you ever played peekaboo with a child? Well, researchers, strangely enough, at the University of Cambridge actually studied, they got funding to study the game. And they found out, and I think this is probably evident to most of us, that when a child covers their eyes, in their mind they actually believe they are invisible. They think that they have vanished. I actually still remember, I remember very little from my childhood, but this is one of the things I remember. I thought if my parents can't see me, then they can't see me, I'm invisible. If, if I can't see them, rather, then I am invisible. And so I'm not sure exactly why anybody had to study the thing. But that aside, you know, we, we smile at our children when they think that they are invisible to us. But we have to understand when we come to the scripture that there is a spiritual analogy that is not so funny but is rather tragic. We believe if we don't open our eyes to take a deep look at what is in our heart, that our sinfulness is invisible to the Almighty. That if we turn a blind eye to our own sin, then the Lord of heaven doesn't see it either. He doesn't regard it. That's the way we walk in this life. If I don't see it, then the Lord doesn't see it and he won't judge it and he won't chasten it. We believe if we play spiritual peekaboo, in other words, the Lord does not see. But that is folly. And that is an infantile mentality. It's not, not the mentality of one mature in the faith. It's not the mentality of the mature Christian who is prepared to commune with their God. Here in this text, though, we find the prototype of the mature saint, the sweet psalmist of Israel, who prays what? Search me, O God. Show me the wickedness that is in my heart. That's the mentality we have to have when we come to the Lord's Supper. That God would search out the sin in our heart and that by Christ, He would cast it away. That He would forgive it. That He would burn it up by His grace. And that He would strengthen us as He leads us in the everlasting way of righteousness. The man or woman who who comes sincerely with these words to the Lord in prayer and in a searching of their heart will, will find rich communion with their God. And at the table, Jesus Christ will kindly and graciously give them grace, strength, mercy to forgive sin, and grace to give them strength to put to death and mortify the sin that is discovered. That's why we Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's one of the reasons we search ourselves out by God's help is not for the Christian to be condemned, but to be strengthened by the Lord because the Lord's table is a strengthening ordinance in which he gives us grace. So with that as our theme, uh, our theme is examine yourself by having the spirit of the Lord search you, try you and lead you in the right way to be led to Jesus next week. We'll consider this theme under the three heads on your bulletin. First is the prayer, search me. Second is the practice, try me. And third is the path, lead me. 
So first, the prayer, search me. Verse 23 opens with, search me, O God, and know my heart. Now what we have to recognize is this is a prayer. And that's vital as you go to the Lord's Supper and you prepare to uh, examine yourself and your heart. You are to bring the Lord into the searching of your heart. And you are not to do it without him. See, even believers uh, who understand that we have to prepare, we have to examine our hearts before the supper, right? So often we might do it in our own flesh, but we are actually bringing the Lord into it. We're bringing the Lord into it. Why is it that you must do that? Well, a couple of reasons. One is, is very searching in itself, and the second is encouraging. The first reason is our own hearts are deceitful, friends. Our own hearts are deceitful and wicked, Jeremiah 17.9. David knew that he needed God to do the searching because he is not fit to do it himself. But also, this is the encouraging part, that when you go to God, right? You go to God, if you're a Christian, I'm going to cover this a little later. You bring your advocate, Jesus Christ, into it. Because we come to God, as we heard in Hebrews 7 last week, by Christ. And so when you ask the Lord to search you, you are bringing Christ into the searching. And you come with an advocate who is there before the Father. Yet, many do protest that the apostolic command for preparation in 1 Corinthians 11.28 is, let a man examine himself. And they might ask, so why do we have to ask the Lord to do the searching? Well, let's look closely at 1 Corinthians 11. If you'd like to turn there. Uh, that might be helpful to you as we might look at a couple of things. We'll start in verse 26, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26. I'll read it in any case, even if you're not there. Read from 26 to 32. For as oft as ye drink this bread, as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Here's the verse. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world." First of all, if you've never seen this need to examine yourself before the supper, here it is. This is the text to meditate on, isn't it? It teaches how necessary it is to prepare to commune with the Lord. Just consider the terrible condition you might face if you barged into the Lord's Supper. In Corinth, many believers had become weak, they had become sickly, and some had even died. That's what's meant here by sleeping. And while the text says, let a man examine himself, does that really mean, friend, that man does not need to bring God into that process? Consider verse 31. If we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. And verse 32. But when we are judged, we are chastened of who? The Lord. You see, in other words, it's not really at the end of the day your judgment or my judgment on the matter that matters, is it? It's the Lord's judgment. And it's the Lord's sight of our heart. To walk in godliness and near communion with God, friends, you need the Lord's sight to become your sight. You must desire to see your heart as God sees your heart. 
Oh, saints, you must never be deceived. Your flesh is going to say, just turn a blind eye to your faults. The devil will even say something like this. Uh, to examine yourself uh, is morbid introspection. If you would want to look into your heart in this way, the devil will even often, and, and his agents do this kind of thing. They will twist justification and say, you are justified by the grace of God. So why worry about the sin in your heart? What is he trying to do? He's trying to make you forget Romans 6, 1 through 2. Really, hath God said, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? You see that? It's not morbid introspection at all. It is the heart of the believer born again that says, shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? And I say, God forbid. How can I live in what my Savior died for? And I have a, a desire to commune with Him. Friends, we must examine ourselves because here's the thing, and it's going to sound strange to Protestants maybe today. The aim of our life is not justification by faith. Boys and girls, the very first catechism question tells you the aim of your life. It is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Now we must be justified to do it, but the aim of our life is the enjoyment of God in communion with God and to the glory of God. And sin hinders our communion with God. And it certainly is going to hinder our communion with Christ at the table if we are harboring sin in our heart. And so desiring close communion with the Lord. And, and let me just say, is that not meant to be your desire, friend? Is it your desire to have close, intimate communion with God? If not, there's something terribly wrong if that desire is not there. In fact, why would you come to the table? Is it just a ritual? Or is it your desire to commune with God? What is it that hinders our communion with God? It is our sin. And so, desiring close communion with the Lord, the psalmist prayed, Search me, O God. And when David goes to the Lord to search him, it's not as though he says, God, I give you permission to search my heart. Okay, you can do it. <laughs> no. The theme of the 139th Psalm is God knows David intimately. How does it open in verses 1 through 4? O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. There is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Friends, he is acquainted with all your ways. All your sinful ways, even those things that you do that are righteous, he is acquainted with them all, well acquainted God has already searched you out, friend. He is well acquainted. Nothing is hidden from him. Hebrews 4.13, not so long ago we heard preaching on it. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are what? Naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. It is absolute folly, my friends, to think God does not know what lurks in your heart. If you have never come to Christ at all, 
If you've never believed on him, you need to see you cannot hide from God. You must have a savior because he sees all the wickedness that we, we do and we think even. You must have Christ that forgives freely and fully. He says, look unto me and be saved. And he will apply his precious blood poured out at Calvary to atone for sinners such as you. And which is what you will see in the supper next week after all when, when the, the, the wine is poured out. This is his blood which is shed or poured out for the sins of many. May it be so for you too. Well, even though saved by the blood of Christ, the Christian prays to have his heart or her heart laid bare before the Lord. Here's a question. Have you ever done it? Have you ever done it? Is this something now as even the question is asked? Search me, O God. Have you done that? Is this something you are afraid to do? Or are you like Adam? Are you like Adam and Eve in the garden, trying to hide from God with those fig leaves, thinking you can hide from his sight? You know, sometimes even boys and girls, you laugh at the idea, right? God comes to them and they're trying to hide. They, they put on fig leaves and they try to hide in the garden. And you might think that's silly, but that's what we do. That's what all of us do. We try to hide from the Almighty. You and I this week must not be like the wicked man who tries to hide his sin from God because it is the wicked man or woman who says of their iniquity in Psalm 94, 7, the Lord shall not see, neither shall the God of Jacob regard it. That's the sight of the wicked of God. Friends, God does see. God does regard iniquity in your heart and mine too. You must open yourself to seeing yourself bare and naked before the Lord in his sight. Have you ever done it? Have you ever opened yourself up to the searching of the Lord? Before communion, you must with sincerity pray, search me, O God, and know my heart. And as the Lord shows you what you are, and sometimes these are the touch points where we do this because communion comes and confronts us with this, though we ought to be doing it daily, when communion comes and we do it, often we exclaim with horror, right? Oh, wretched man or woman that I am. As even the apostle said, we see the sins before us. But what we have to be aware of is that we are coming to the table of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you come to God in that searching, as I've already said, uh, if you're in Christ, God's searching is not done without help. Now, is it? You know, the, the entire triune God, and I want you to think of this, Christian, is there for you in the searching. You come to God through the Son of God as your mediator, your Savior, your advocate. You come to God in the Spirit of God who testifies what? That God is your Father. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. They search you out, but they are all for you in the searching. And that's the difference between the Christian and the wicked man or woman. The wicked uh, uh, wickedness of our heart is dealt with by God, all three persons. But the one who comes to God outside of Christ has none of that. And so this is what gives the Christian the great joy even, even in the pain of bringing their heart before God is knowing that God deals with all of the wickedness in it. It was in the Spirit that David prayed, search me, O God. 
The Christian who prays, search me, O God, comes to God with one hand clutching Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation in them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. They come knowing that even praying, search me, O God, is walking in the Spirit and not in the flesh, and it's a testimony that they are not condemned. But then in their other hand, as they come to God, they come clutching Romans 8, 15 through 16, that they have received the spirit of adoption, whereby they cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit itself bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. They see their sinfulness, and when it wounds them, they cry, Abba, Father, help your child take the pain away, take my sin away, remove it from me as you have promised as far as east is from west. Do you not think the Lord will do it for you? Has he not promised to do it for you? Of course he will. This is the godly prayer of God's children, men and women after his own heart. You know, when the Lord searches the believer, and I I know there are several godly fathers here, and you understand this. When the Lord searches the believer, he does so as their father. A father come to burn the dross in your heart out of love and compassion. A father concerned that sin is hobbling the walk of his son or daughter. Not to condemn you, but to cheer you after he mortifies your sinfulness. When you pray, search me, O God, and you find the sin in your heart, you need to bless the Lord, as the 103rd Psalm says. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. That is why we pray to the Lord to search us out. You know, in a lot of ways, it is far better that he does it than we do it. Because when he does it for his children, he reminds them that we are the children of God. That he has come to help you with compassion and care. Do not do the examination without God, or you may despair. Bring the Lord Jesus into it, believer. So will you pray? Knowing that, search me, O God. Or does that still fill you with a level of discomfort? In that case, I have to ask, what are you afraid of finding? Or maybe, what are you afraid of giving up? If you're filled with discomfort, they're typically one of two problems, or maybe both. One is you're hiding pet sins you do not want to release to the Lord, or you don't understand the grace of God in Jesus Christ to forgive and to heal. It may be that, as I said, both of these things are the problem for you today. Which is it, my friend, who is afraid of asking the Lord to search their heart? Which is it? Do a work with God this week and find out. Well, let's go deeper into these matters in our second heading, which is the practice. Try me. In the second half of verse 23 to the first part of verse 24, David said, Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. Now that is a searching thing, isn't it? Is there any wicked way in me, O God? And that word try, boys and girls, it means to test. David says, put me to the test. 
Boys and girls, your exams you take in school are known as tests, aren't they? What happens when you take a test? Uh, You are tested against what you ought to be, really, what you ought to know. Well, when you ask the Lord to test you, you ask him to test you against what you ought to be in his eyes. Now, if you are unaware of that, you might ask, what am I being tested against? And the answer is the word of God, the word of God, especially the law of God. You know, the test is not against the opinions of, uh, opinions of men or the standards of the world, but it is against the very law of God. Because when the Lord tests us, he uses the word of God. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. This book is the sword of the Lord, isn't it? And the Lord tests us all against its standard. And what you are to do this week is you are to bring God into it and bring uh, his word, uh, bring your heart under his word as you examine yourself. And that's the key here. As you see, look at what David is asking to be tested against throughout the psalm. Do you notice it's always against the inward man, right? He's not saying, let me see if there's any outward wicked actions. He says, let me see if there's any wicked way in me. Let me know my heart. Let me know my thoughts. This is really where preparation is. You know, you can fool me and you can fool the elders. You can fool your neighbor here and you can look outwardly righteous. But the real test, especially in communion, because, you know, what do the elements signify is you imbibe Christ, that it's an inward thing. It's a spiritual thing. This is where the test really is. Not that I can say, well, nobody knows I'm a sinner in this way or the other way. But really the test is, uh, do I know that God knows that I'm a sinner in the ways of the heart? This book, it tests your heart, not your outward actions. He, 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 I, none of, no man on earth has access to your heart and thoughts, but the Lord does. So, fittingly, When our Lord Jesus summarized the law of God, which he says is spiritual, what is the one word that can sum up all of the the, the Bible, all of the law of God? It's love, isn't it? It's love. Pure, chaste love is what your heart ought to be. And so the Lord is testing and trying your heart. Is your heart full of love? Is it filled with love for God? Is it filled with love for neighbor? Where do I stand concerning these two greatest commandments? And our boys and girls know this. They recite in the catechism always, which is that the two great commandments of love are divided into the Ten Commandments. The first four are our love for neighbor, our love for God, and the last six are our love for neighbor. And if you are new to the idea of God testing your heart, what I would suggest this week is as you pray, you bring the commandments of God into your preparation. So a suggestion, and this is just meant to be a help for your faith, not a a law. You can take up your larger uh, catechism this week, Commandments 99 to 148, deal with the law of God. And you can take the Ten Commandments this week as you prepare your heart and you test your heart. You'll have to take two, right, boys and girls, every day in order to get through all ten before the end of the week. And what can be helpful and has helped me in the past is I can take a commandment in the morning and a commandment in the evening. You can consider the duties that are commanded of us. They're scripture proofs especially. Don't take it on implicit faith. Take the scripture proofs 
and test your heart against them. For instance, here's an example of what you might do. On Monday morning, I might open up the first commandment, and I might pray before I do that, search me, O God, open my eyes to what has come between me and thee. After all, the first commandment is what? Thou shalt have no other gods before me, right? And so you make it a prayerful exercise, and you say, Lord, guide me by your word. Show me, open my eyes to your law. And with God leading you, you can meditate on the truth of the first commandment, that I must set nothing, nothing at all before my God. I am, as I look at the scriptures, to adore and have a deep affection for my Lord and my God above all others, more than my spouse, more than my children, more than my work, more than the goods that I have. And so I ask myself then, I I ask, Lord, show me, What comes between you and me? What idols am I hiding away? Maybe even it's myself. You can read the scripture proof for 2 Timothy 3.2 in the, the larger catechism. What does it say? For men shall be lovers of their own selves. And maybe God searches me and says, you have loved even your own self more than me. Or perhaps... He shows me that my hopes are not set in him. I don't really hope in God. Maybe I hope in the things of this world. Maybe it's the economy or men or even my own goodness and my righteousness. And I read Psalm 130 verse 7, which is there as a scripture proof. Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is mercy and with him is plenteous redemption. And you can continue on and on that way in the morning. And then maybe in the evening there is the second commandment. And I read that I am to set my heart on the manner of worship the Lord commands. Not just my outward actions to conform to his commandments, but my very heart. Deuteronomy 32.46, I would read it as a scripture proof. Set your hearts unto all the words which I testify among you this day. And I ask, is my heart set on the things that God wants? Even in this season, right? Especially in this season, am I prone to find other ways to worship him? Is my heart despising the commandments of God and favoring the traditions of men? Or maybe, and here's the thing, right? My heart is just not set on worshiping God, period. Maybe the struggle is most keenly, like again, you're here. Bless the Lord for that. I'm glad. But are you in the secret place when I can't see you and when your neighbor here cannot see you? Children, Right, Boys and girls, are you in worship when your parents don't know about it? When it's just you and the Lord? You see, it's easy to fool the assembly here. You can be here every Lord's Day, but if the only time you're worshiping God is Sunday to Sunday, Lord's Day to Lord's Day, and never in the secret place, is your heart really set on worshiping God? If you follow the pattern, then by Wednesday morning, you would test yourself in the the second table, the fifth command. Do I honor the authorities the Lord has put over me, even if I dislike them? Do I honor my parents? Do I honor my president? Do I honor my elders? Do I pray for them? And what about those under my care? Do I care for them, not just in their body, but their soul as well? Then on Wednesday evening, you would test yourself against the sixth commandment. Do I have a forgiving heart? Am I a quarrelsome person? Am I always doing the things that tend towards strife and anger and hatred? Do I especially find myself irritated and hating those that Christ loves? I'll read a scripture proof, 1 John 2.11. He that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. 
etc., etc. This is how the Lord tests us against the standards of his word. And if you're new to this, maybe you should take up the shorter catechism instead of the larger. The summation of the law is still potent, but it's shorter, questions 42 through 81. Boys and girls, you might want to note that. And as you do this, I would hope, you know, more regularly than even communion, but even as you do it at least quarterly, right, you're going to gain skill in testing your heart against the Lord. And you will know by heart sooner or later what it is the Lord requires of thee. And it will remind you as well when you go through the Ten Commandments. See, I, I, I gave you the, the indexes there that begin with the preface to the Ten Commandments, right? When I told you about the catechism. Because the commandments themselves remind you of grace. How do they begin? How is the preface? I am the Lord thy God which have brought thee out of the house of bondage. Right? So even as you go into the commandments, you remember I do this by grace. The, uh, Israel was to know that their God was a God of grace. But as you do go before the Lord in your secret place, which is a place with you and the Lord only testing your heart, you are to go as deep as you can and be as searching as time permits. In Psalm 19, which is another great psalm about the Word, as David opens the Word of God, do you remember his desire for the Lord in Psalm 19, 12 through 13? Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. uh, Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. You want the Lord to show you your errors, friends. Don't turn a blind eye. Errors you don't even know that you had. Errors you hadn't even seen. You will find them as you search your heart against the word of God. Faults that are secret are not secret to God. And we bless the Lord when they are revealed to us. Because we bless the Lord for that other word in Psalm 19, right? As he thought on his secret faults, he said, cleanse thou me. Cleanse me. Apply the blood of Jesus to my faults as they are discovered. And as we'll consider it in the next heading as well, restrain me from my presumptuous known and evident sins. What a prayer to bring before the Lord this week as you prepare to meet with him. Let me encourage you also with this thought that if you think you can keep yourself from this duty, what is the warning in the word? That the Lord often, right, this is, he, 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 he does this. I think because we, we, we think that we are smarter and wiser and craftier than God, but he catches the crafty in their sins. He says that the Lord, if you try to hide them, the Lord will open up your sins to the world if you do not open up your sins to God. Numbers thirty-two twenty-three. but if ye will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and what? Be sure your sins will find you out. Luke 8, 17, For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. If you cannot bring your sins before the Lord, he will bring your sins out into the open. And as he did with David, of course, you remember that. And the sad thing about it, what does he know about our heart? He knows that we care more about what men think about our secret sins then we care about what God thinks about them. And so it is a fitting thing that the Lord often shows men 
our secret sins because we have not the sense to be ashamed of them before God. Isn't that quite an amazing thing? You are probably right now, if you're thinking about some of the sins that you have committed, you are more ashamed in the thought that the people here might know of them than God. Do not be surprised if he chastens you then, if that is you, by making the men you esteem see the sins you hide from him. And I thought about this, and it grieved me so much, how many men, even ministers of the gospel, have tried to hide their sins. What inevitably happens? They're put out and paraded before the world, aren't they? Their sins find them out, and they are disgraced. Remember these words, boys and girls, God is not mocked. We must be open and honest before his sight. And the other part of this, and this is where we are really perverse, we are often more concerned about other men's sins than our own. It's so interesting that we call it morbid introspection to look into our own hearts, but we love to dwell on the sins of others. We would gladly have, so to speak, a watch party to see their sins and to revel in them. But David's concern here, even as he said, I hate the wicked, is that God look into his own heart, that he be blameless in his walk before the Lord. Many struggle, you know, sometimes, and as a pastor and an elder, I've, I've, I've heard this, you know, people ask, is it right for this person to come to the table because of what I know about them? But the question is always, have you asked whether it's right for you to come to the table? My friend, have you searched your own heart before you think of the the brother or sister at the table? Our concern, Jesus said, is to take the plank out of our own eye and to be worried about the sin in our heart. And that requires the Lord to be searching us out. And in view of the searching then, I want to return to the thought I had put before you earlier, that if you are troubled at even asking the Lord to search and test, your conscience might be greatly affected right now. And your conscience may, in fact, be accusing you, which is why you don't want the searching. If your conscience is accusing you, you are not to shy away from dealing with it. In fact, that must be the first thing you deal with. Um, Romans 2.15, their conscience also bearing witness. See, it's witness bearing from God. And their thoughts, uh, meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. The Apostle Paul who wrote this, you remember he also took great pains in keeping a clear conscience, as you and I ought to as well. Acts 24, 16, and herein do I exercise myself to what? To have always a conscience void of offense towards God and toward men. His desire was to keep a clean, clear conscience to the two tables of the law. Isn't that what that is? A conscience uh, void of offense towards God, commandments 1 through 4, and a conscience uh, void of offense towards men, commandments 6 through 10. You need to be attuned to a conscience that is troubled. You know, I gave you the pattern of seeing a commandment once, uh, twice each, uh, two commandments per day. But before you do that, a spiritual shortcut is if you, your conscience is troubling you right now about opening itself before God, is to deal with your conscience first. What is it that troubles your conscience? That is the thing the Lord is trying to bear witness to you straight and first. 
But also, let me say this, you must test your conscience trouble against the word of God. You have to ask, is my conscience actually bothering me according to the word? Or is it really, in fact, and this can be some of us, too tender? Or is the world's influence on my conscience, I should never say a mean thing about somebody and, and because I want to talk to them about their sin. No, that your conscience should not be bothered by that so long as you're doing that by faith and love, speaking the truth in love, right? You have to ask, are, are the things bothering my conscience things that ought to bother it? Uh, are they things even, and this is something I was talking to a brother earlier, are they things that I have already repented of and come before the Lord? If your conscience is troubled by things you've already confessed and repented of, you're walking in new obedience, uh, your conscience needs to be quieted by the word of God, saying Christ has forgiven you and uh, he has uh, blessed you with new obedience. But all that aside, if your conscience is troubling you right now, deal with God and what it is that troubles you and put it away. Well, with all of that then, as we talked about the blood of Christ, In all this searching this week, and I can't say it enough, I suppose, you need to remember mercy and remember grace. That you're doing all this searching with a sanctified sense of boldness. Do you not get a sense? There's a certain level of boldness in the man as he asks, search me, O God, test me, right? Why can we do that? Why can we do that? It is because we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. What's the use? Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4.15-16 through 16. You know, the very Christ that we will sup on and drink of is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. So let us come boldly before him and let us come with faith in his love and mercy. This week is really, if you would look on it this way, a special time to seek the Lord for mercy for our sin and grace uh, to walk with him. It is a time to, as you are wounded over your sin, right? There are certain pains in our life that are bittersweet, aren't there? Aren't they? This is a bittersweet kind of wounding. Yes, on one level I am wounded in the heart over my sin, but how sweet it is to have the blood of Christ cover my faults and to know the love of Christ that covers over all my sins, all my faults, all my failings. I know my sympathetic, uh, the sympathetic heart of my Savior, even as I meditate on what I will come to see at the table, a Savior broken for my sins, a Savior whose blood was poured out for all my faults. that my communion with God would be so blessed in searching out my heart and my heart would be made so ready and so eager, having purged out the leaven out of my heart to come to Christ my Passover. After time has been spent by why? You know, you think on the way that the book of Hebrews speaks of our walk with the Lord. What does it say? That we are to lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. That we would run the race seeking after Christ. Sin is a gross weight on our heart and it clouds our communion with our beloved Savior. And what also does not make this time of introspection morbid is that you are not to forget to bless the Lord 
when you discover graces in your heart. When the testing is done, you will likely find, even since the last communion date, you have grown in certain areas, that grace has been given to you along the way. You are less wayward in one or several areas. And as you discover these things, you are to remember this was not your doing, but it was the Lord's doing. And so you bless him as you discover graces in your heart, not ever to pat yourself on the back, but to give glory to God that he is alive and working, being encouraged that, yes, he is the living God and his promise is sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And he is. So lastly, let's consider the path. Lead me. Well, after you have examined your heart and have confessed your faults to the Lord, you need him to lead you in the right way. You must not just confess of your sin then. This is what this is teaching here. It's not just a confession of your sin. It is a repentance of your sin. You must say, give me the resolve to walk in holiness, new obedience, to not return to my folly as the dog returns to its vomit. And that's why David concludes this psalm by saying, lead me, lead me in the way everlasting. In other words, this is a man who, when he discovers his faults, wants to be repentant and walk with the Lord. He doesn't just want to confess his sins. He wants to walk after Christ. That's new obedience. That's what repentance is. It's a denial of ourselves. It's a taking up of our cross and following after Jesus by the grace he gives us. You know, when we discover our faults, that we haven't loved God or neighbor as we ought, we have to resolve by the grace of God to follow after the Lord. And what is this way called? It's so beautiful. It is called the way everlasting. There's a meditation there in, for an entire sermon. It's not the way that is called old-fashioned. It's not a way that will ever fall out of fashion with God. The world will tell you that to hold to Christian principles is for a bygone era, friends. Boys and girls, let me just say this. Every generation has believed it has found a new way to happiness. Whether it is materialism, it is lust, or pride. These things are not new. Paul contended against them all in Acts chapter 17. As the world says, uh, what does the world say? It says something like this, new packaging, same old product. Right? That's all it is. Or as better said by the Holy Ghost, there's nothing new under the sun. But the way of righteousness has ever been and will ever be the way everlasting. The way everlasting. It's not a fad. You know, you can look at history, and every decade seems to be defined by its own particular folly. And I'll leave that exercise to yourself. But the way and path of righteousness is everlasting. And where do you find the everlasting way? Once again, it's in the book, in the very laws of God that you tested your heart against. The paths of the Bible are called what? The good way, the old way, the old paths, the way that leads to what? Sometimes we think about the Bible and we say that the word leads us on old paths, but I want you to see what the end of those paths are. Jeremiah 6.16, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths, which is that where is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find what? Rest for your souls. If you are weary... And you want rest for your soul, you will find it in the way of the Lord. 
which is why there is, if I may use the expression, a selfish motivation even for you to search out your heart. Whatever it is, sin troubles you. It's a troubler. It does not give you rest. It leads to weariness, friend. But the good path, the old path that we are to walk in, the everlasting way, is where we find rest for your soul. Sin is restlessness, never satisfied. It leaves you empty and hollow. If you are a repentant man or woman, you know it. And in these paths, who do you find at the end of it? Jesus Christ, who said what? I will give you rest and rest for your souls. So you test your faith in Jesus even after you test your heart against the law. You know, you might even ask this because we are so deceived sometimes. Uh, Do I believe that my keeping of the law and my repentance saves me? Or do I believe it is simply faith in the Lord Jesus only that saves me? Now, if you say all this discovery of my sins and faults has made me weary and not restful, well, beloved, that is precisely why you come to the table next week. That is exactly why. You are to bring your weariness your contention with sin, the world and the devil to the table next week and find divine grace there by faith. David does not say, and I think this is so key for us, he does not say, I resolve to follow thee. There, I think there are some Christian songs that basically say the kind of thing. you know. But what David says and what the true songs of the Bible say is, uh, lead me, lead me, take me. Guide me. I need you in the leading, O God. See, even in following the path, you need the Lord to do it. You know, it's interesting. If you go back, right, in verse 10 in Psalm 139, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. You see this imagery that he is being taken by the Lord along the path. He says, I can't do it myself. You need to lead me, Lord. And that's what you ought to bring the Lord into as well in your obedience. You don't come to the table with your own righteousness now, do you? Jesus said he came for the sinner and not the righteous. You need to bring your sin. You need to bring your burdens. And the Lord, the Lord will deal with them and he will lead you. You need to never forget, especially around communion, you begin with grace, you endure by grace, and you will be in glory by grace. You bring your sin to the table, you come bringing your weary soul, and the Lord will take it away and he will say, feed on me, beloved, and I will give you rest. When you discover the defect and you discover that you need energy and power, is that meant to keep you from the table of the Lord? No. If you have a contrite spirit and a humbled, broken heart, the Lord is actually calling you to the table. Really, when you discover your wickedness, the Lord is saying something like this, you have drunk out of broken cisterns far too long. You must come and drink of me. Come and find health for your soul in my ordinance, in my body and my blood. I don't know if you have perceived it. I have said it, but sometimes we are dull of hearing. I myself too. But David always brings the Lord into his spiritual exercise. Search me. Test me. Lead me. He needs the grace of the Lord. He cannot do it in the flesh, neither can you. Are ye so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Galatians 3.3 
uh, with all that before you, and I trust that there is something of use there for you in your coming before the Lord. Let me remind you of 1 Corinthians 11.28 and the purpose of this searching. But let a man examine himself. Why? And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. To lay yourself open before the Lord by the grace of God in anticipation of meeting Christ is meant for this purpose, that you would eat that bread and drink of that cup. Not to bar you from it, but to come to it for divine grace and help in time of need. If the Holy Spirit has touched your conscience pertaining to something specific, though, today in the preaching, I would suggest not leaving this place until you have sought God out in repentance and received the refreshment that comes from repentance in Christ. That said, take up this word this week and pray, search me, test me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. May God bless our preparation in that way. Please rise for prayer if able. O Lord, our God, help us to always remember that nothing is hidden from thy sight, that our hearts are laid bare before the God of heaven. Help us to not try to hide as our first parents did from you, but that for the glory of God and for the blessing that comes from uh, having a conscience void of offense towards God and man, that we would walk blamelessly before you. O God, help us to not nurture pet secret sins. Help us to put them to death this week. Father, we pray that you would also give us encouragement knowing that we come to the testing of the Lord through our mediator, Jesus. And if any here has never uh, known that they come to, they must come to God through Christ the mediator or else they would be laid bare and devoured by the sword of the Lord. We pray that this would be the day of salvation, that they would lay hold of Christ and that they would understand those tokens of his love in the supper next week his body broken and his blood shed for sinners and not the righteous. Bless your people this week as they prepare to meet with you, that you would be glorified and that they would be built up in our most holy faith, knowing rich communion with Christ. We ask in his name. Amen. Let us now sing praises.